Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live. It is a Wednesday episode of the show. That guy right beside me is known as Chris Clark. He uh, he disappeared, but he is back. Chris, how how we doing, man? We had a couple people that said uh, they they missed you earlier this week. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. I was missed. Just a couple people, but man, yeah, I'm good. Uh, yeah, be- better better than the folks who just like to talk crap about. You being red or something. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm I'm grateful. Everything's good. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, you're back. Uh we're 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 getting ever closer to this South Carolina Florida matchup. Um and uh I, I was gonna say a lot has happened since you were gone, but really not a lot has happened, honestly. Like it, bye week, if you're gonna get away, this was the time to do it. Um you got out and, and saw Mickey and Minnie. I got to go to the World Series. It's been it's been a, a pretty good couple of days for the for the GC crew. And then uh, of course now we're back on track. Beamer talking yesterday, coordinators talking today, and uh, we're primarily going to talk a bit about what the coordinators had to say today and about of course the quarterback position. That's been it's been a, a topic of discussion like a, a lot of weeks. Uh, I feel like how how many times have we gone into a week and said. Yeah, I think this is who's going to start, but it hasn't necessarily been set in stone. So that that's, I, I guess, what we'll probably be talking about quite a bit. Before we get to it, though, this show is, of course, brought to you by our good buddy Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. ClintHammond.com is where you can find out more information on Clint, and uh, you can actually just give him a call. Um, you see his information right there on the screen if you're on the video version of the show, 803-576-4450. C, that's the letter C, Hammond at MortgageNetwork.com is his email address. NMLS number is 71597. Still a great time to buy a home. So if you've been thinking about that, maybe upgrading, maybe getting into a new spot, maybe buying as opposed to renting, give Clint a shout. He will walk you through what is sometimes a daunting process that he's going to help make easy for you. So so give Clint a shout. Um, Speaking of daunting processes, Chris, um, Florida, not what I'm sure their fans hoped they would be at this point. Not what maybe some people thought they would be at this point. I do think, dude, prior to the season, you may have said you weren't as high on Florida this year. I don't, I don't know. I think you said that. I don't know if you said it on the show. I know when you and I talked, um, you know, there was some discussion about is Florida going to be anywhere close to what they were last year. And, so far, the answer is no. The other side of that, though, is that it's still a pretty daunting task for South Carolina based on where South Carolina is right now. Right, then that's the good point. I think that's the key point is it's easy to look at Florida right now 
and they've had some struggles, you know, this season. Not not that this team is is over, Wes. You know, I mean, they've won some games this season, but you look at some of the stats with Dan Mullen. His last can't remember the stat off the top of my head. It's going to make me seem unprepared, but you know, the last several Power Five matchups, he has a losing record in those games. And then you look at this season. You know, measuring stick game for Florida. You know, they're, they're measuring stick. Let's take away just individual games. Their measuring stick is really going to be, Wes, you know, where do they finish in the East every year? Because the expectation there is to always be in contention to win the East at the University of Florida. And then, you know, how do they perform against Georgia? Well, and that – both of those, they're, they're not there yet this year. They just got slammed by Georgia in that game. Georgia looked like the much better football team, obviously, in that one. They're not in contention to win the East. They lost against Kentucky, you know, earlier this season. They 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 put on a good showing against Alabama, but they still lost that game. And then you've got all the gaffes that Dan Mullen's been committing recently, right, that have really, you know, irked the fan base there. And, it, and it's been a variety of things that have just kind of piled up. It's been um, how he handles the media in general, just kind of icy and contentious. Um, you got the way that he's handled the quarterback situation there with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Um, People are looking around going, okay, you know, why are they not running the ball more? Because they've got capable backs. There's two, by the way, two five-star transfers in Lorenzo Lingard and Demarcus Bowman who aren't even playing, just sitting on the bench as as five former five-star running back transfers. They have issues, right? Um, recruiting, people are worried about their recruiting, two of their best commitments in this class, probably their two best commitments in this class, both decommitted recently. So there are some concerns. That said, you know, it, it's always about is the other team in position to take advantage of that. And so this game, I think, Wes, looks more winnable for South Carolina than it did, say, at the beginning of the season or maybe even a few weeks ago. But it's still a tall task because when you break it down, at the end of the day, on game day, Dan Mullen's still going to do a good job administering his offense and calling plays, right? defensively they've, they've been kind of all over the place and there are some plays to potentially be had there, but can the Gamecock offense this struggled against just about everybody this season was, are they going to be able to put together enough consistency and some big plays to be able to take advantage of those? And so I think that's the million dollar question going into this game, more winnable than at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Uh, does Florida have issues? Yeah. But South Carolina, they're going to have to play much, much better in all three phases of the game than we saw last week or or that we've seen for much of the season from this Gamecocks team. Yeah, and I, I think, dude, this, this is a – if you really start to – like this is the, the part of the week where we start to really dive into the next opponent. This is just an oddly structured football team. When when you just even glancing at the stats, man, so you, you look and – I was going through this yesterday from, from a from a run game standpoint. If if you were not to look at uh, like the player stats within Florida's roster, you just pulled up. For example, I, a lot of times I go by conference stats. How do you do um, compared to the other teams in the SEC? And you know we were talking yesterday from a rushing offensive standpoint, South Carolina or excuse me, Florida is third in the conference in rushing yards per game, even though they they now also have Georgia uh, included in those stats. You know, everybody's um, 
like Georgia is good enough against the run that it's going to affect your stats, whether you've like if, if you're a team that's played them or not, because it's that they're that good at stopping the run. And Florida has that factored in and uh, still is rushing for 243 basically yards per game. And then if you do their rushing average, like yards per carry, their tops in the conference would uh, 6.1 yards per carry. So you would say, you know, good grief. Like this, this is an excellent rushing attack. You dive a little bit deeper. The funny thing is, man, so I'm on, I'm messing around on, on PFF today, which again, Chris and I give this caveat every single time we talk about PFF. Great resource. Um, it's a great resource in addition to other resources, in my opinion. It's not like the end-all, be-all, but it, it is interesting to me, dude. I go in here, and when I, I sort of bring up all SEC teams, and I, and you can sort them by different uh, like graded categories. And if you sort the entire SEC by run grade, Florida's is a 93.3, which is best in the conference. But then you can actually sort it down by run blocking or pass blocking as well. And if you sort them, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe we need to get Will Helms on to explain how this is even possible. They are last, they have the last, the lowest grade in run blocking and the highest grade and run offense, which is on the surface uh, just sounds impossible. Like, uh, you know, are there, are their backs just that amazing? Would be the question you would ask. And then you start to get a little bit deeper into their stats and you see, huh, their leading rusher is their quarterback, Emory Jones, with 517 yards on the ground. Their second leading rusher, I don't know if I've ever seen this for a, an SEC team that's like, you know, may, maybe it's happened with a team that was that was just struggling on offense and they just had nothing good going. Second leading rusher is Anthony Richardson, their other quarterback, with 374 yards. So you've got to go by two quarterbacks before you get to a running back as far as their rushing totals go. I I mean I'm I'm sure maybe maybe it's happened before but man I I don't know that I've seen that just structure of an offense it's very very weird um their receivers are like I don't know so, solid I don't know if they I don't know if their receivers I don't know if there is a single receiver that I that's like a household name among, among this group that you just say man that guy's going to like you're you're scared to death of that guy. So it is an oddly structured team, especially for a team that is in the state of Florida and should have access to some of the best skill talent on the planet. Well, and you're right. You know, I was putting together the star power piece this morning. Check that out on GamecockCentral.com. We have that every week, and it's basically a piece that just gives a breakdown of, you know, here's how – starters projected starters for South Carolina and this coming week's opponent stacked up in terms of recruiting ranking. And man, if you go up and down the Florida roster, 
I mean, it still is very impressive when you look at it. I mean, there's a bunch of five-star dudes, a bunch of four-star dudes, but you look at the production defensively and offensively, and there is a little bit of a disconnect there. And I've talked to several people about Florida this week and this morning, especially Wes, and a lot of people were sounding the alarm and making some really good points about this team as both people who um, are very familiar with Florida and people who are kind of just observing from the outside as well. And they made that that exact point that you said, access to players in the state of Florida. Someone that I spoke with this morning said, if they didn't have the transfer portal, their team would look vastly different. Now, there's nothing wrong with the transfer portal, but you kind of look at the makeup of this roster, Wes, and two of their starting offensive linemen are transfers. Brenton Cox transferred from Georgia to Florida. Justin Shorter, who's a former five-star receiver, transferred from Penn State to Florida. Uh, the two backs that I mentioned who are riding the pine right now transferred from, I believe, Miami and from Clemson, Lingard and Bowman. Um, they have There's others. I mean, those are just a few off the top of my head. And so some people are looking around going, what, what's going on here? There have been some struggles in recruiting. And so people wonder, this is the University of Florida. Like you have a huge state, this very talent rich, you know, why, why are there not more guys from Florida? Why are you not using the, the Florida brand to be able to bring in more players? And Dan Mullen is not, as we know this now, it's not really even an argument or an opinion. He's not as involved in recruiting as Kirby Smart, you know, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, not as involved as he is. He, he's more of a hands-off guy who doesn't like recruiting. He takes more of a kind of ball ball coach, you know, type of approach to it. And we're seeing we're seeing some of that. As far as the rushing totals, I mean, you make a great point. That's something else that a lot of people have brought up is what is the disconnect with the rushing totals? Like you take Damian Pierce, for example, you look at some of his splits this season as far as his uh, his averages, you know, in the Georgia game, he was 7.7 yards a carry. He He touched it nine times. You know, you look at the Kentucky game that they lost by seven. He was 6.8 yards a carry, but he had 54 yards and he rushed eight times. Tennessee, he averaged 7.8, touched it eight times. You know, so now there are some other games that weren't as impressive, but a lot of people are looking around going, hey, with some of the struggles that they've had passing the ball, why are they kind of, you know, why are they seeming to lean on that a little bit more when they've actually been strong in the run game when they've tried? So it has been a very odd and, and interesting year, I would say, just in total for Florida. Yeah, so, dude, I the, the, the thing with Dan Mullen for me that I always go back to is uh, it's just why. <laughs> like, you know – the, the whole this whole thing that some people will say, oh, that got taken out of context earlier this week or it got blown out of proportion. But, you know, I, I've read a couple of different takes on what exactly happened there. And, you know, some people have said, well, Mullen was just saying we'll talk about recruiting after uh, the, the season. Well, clearly, coaches that are wired to think about Coaches that are dialed into recruiting all the time also never have any issue giving you, and let's be honest, it's always going to be a positive 
quote about recruiting. Like you accept that, right? Like Shane Beamer, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, who you know, whoever, they're not gonna be like, oh yeah, we had some recruits in, but they just had an awful time this past <laughs> week. Um, right, awful. The guys yeah. we wanted here did not show up. Um, but these guys that were not really that high on did show up. We might take them, but um, we're really hoping that guy that went to Tennessee instead. Um, really, we're hoping to get him in, but they're never going to say that. Right. But you know, a coach that is dialed in is going to never miss an opportunity to get a quote out there saying, "Oh, we love how our recruiting is going," or "We, hey, we've got five official visitors coming in this weekend," or "Hey, we had a bunch of guys in." Like you know, and that's not even you're not even lying. You're just get you're going to take that chance or that opportunity with that question to to get a positive quote out there that you know is going to be put on Twitter. Somebody may, you know, throw a, a puff piece together like I did earlier this week with Beamer talking about the great feedback he got from high school coaches. So why why instead cut off the guy asking the question, get defensive for for no reason, which clearly as I say that there is a reason and it's that recruiting is not going well for you. So you're going to get defensive by the mere mention of the idea of recruiting. Um, that says something in itself to me, man, like the fact you don't want to talk about recruiting that that's a softball thing to talk about, man. That's a softball question. That's not, well, why did you play this guy? Why did you, but when somebody's asking about recruiting at Florida right now, Mullen isn't interpreting that as they're they're wondering why the recruiting isn't better right now. So, but it's kind of like, what is it? The he doth protest too much. Like if you if you get that fired up about it, that's there's probably a problem in in your recruiting operation. Well, and then you go and you you cancel media availability the rest of the week after that. I mean, it's just a strain. I mean, something, you know, something's amiss. And, and look, even coming into this season, Wes, and you're right, I wasn't as high on Florida, mainly because of some of the personnel losses that they had on offense, you know, Pitts, Tony, uh, Kyle Trask. I mean, these guys are really good. You don't just automatically, you know, you're just as good after losing guys like that. Right. Um, But even before, I mean, there, there's kind of been this, segment of people in the media or the fan base who've kind of recognized that something's been a little bit off, you know, about this tenure to where it hasn't really been as good as it should be. And so we're starting to see a little bit more of that come out and manifest. And, you know, look, I, I think Dan Mullen does not like recruiting as much as many of the head coaches in the SEC. Um, and he also um, is, is not a guy that, you know, particularly likes criticism and things like that. Nobody likes criticism, but he's not um, as equipped, you know, to, to deal with it. He, he doesn't, he doesn't like to talk about it. And so, yeah, very, very strange way to handle, you know, the media setting. And then instead of trying to do something to make it better or clarify, you cancel media availability, whose call that was, I'm not really sure, but there, there are definitely some issues there, man, that have, that have come out this season for the Gators. Yeah, it's just – it's weird to me, man. I mean, the other side of this is, what, Florida won the East last year. So yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of – I don't know, man. I, I feel like uh, – and, and T weighs in on YouTube 
saying he's thin skinned. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely a way to put it. T. I mean the I don't know. I feel like sports are kind of in a weird place right now in that pe- people will very quickly forget that you've won. Not not that he's won, you know, a national title at Florida. Not that he has won, uh, you know, the SEC. But people will forget very quickly if there are other aspects of your program that just don't seem right or if they don't, frankly, if they don't like you. You know, it's like um, they will look for reasons to sort of push you out. And I think Florida as a fan base has they, – they, I mean, they see what Alabama – has been doing for for the last decade now, and now they're sitting there. It's a little bit – it's not the same. It's not the same at all. But there is, to me, a little bit here of – you know how how Carolina fans have to feel about watching Clemson do what they did for for that stretch? Now Florida fans are watching Georgia, and, and I think they're starting to feel it, that this might be Georgia's year. And Georgia is starting to look like, you know, Georgia is one of those programs you just kind of always wait on them to to Clemson, basically. Like, that used to be a thing with Clemson. Oh, they're going to Clemson it away. Georgia, to me, feels like they finally have the team that can do it. And I don't know that there's necessarily some super elite other team sitting out there this year that's going to sort of knock them out of that. And I I wonder, is there something in the Florida psyche that maybe they're sensing that? And and it makes it even worse. But we, I mean, we've seen this, man. Florida fans, they have a, they have a vision for what their program should be. And it is a very high, is a very high opinion of what the program should be. And if you're not matching that and you're not getting somewhat close to it on a consistent basis, they still judge this based on watching Steve Spurrier and watching Urban Meyer. And if you're yep. not if you're not producing like one of those two guys, then they very quickly are ready to to get you out of town, it seems like. Yeah, and it's not that's what I was gonna say. It's not like this pie in the sky concept of you know, some artificially inflated opinion of what they should be or what it could be. Like it's been done. It's been done multiple times, you know, with Steve Spurrier's elevation, Urban Meyer just winning. When, not only those programs winning, but the the manner in which they won, Wes, scoring lots of points, destroying people. Um, with Urban Meyer, just a recruiting machine. Steve Spurrier, who was not a recruiter, as we know, um, I mean, they just had tons of talent because they would just take dudes and uh, from the state of Florida or elsewhere, and they were just really good. They just run roughshod over people, and uh, same thing with Urban Meyer, just a recruiting machine. And so, you know, I, I think now, you know, look, Dan Mullen has, they, like you said, they won the East last year. They came close to winning the SEC last year, but people do forget that the memories are very very short you can win a national title nowadays and the first reaction of some people is going to be well if they play like that in next year's national title game they're not going to win it you know i mean they're more worried about that i mean there's probably some braves fans wes i hope you're not one of them that are going well all right time for the second you know what i mean 
we've even we've even seen that there. Remember when Texas scored in Nick Saban, and that was supposedly it, it was something that Jimmy Sexton probably just more used in the negotiations, his agent. But there was so much pressure at Alabama after they won the first one. Everybody was saying, "All right, three P, here we go," you know, and and so there there becomes a lot of pressure. So Florida's a pressure cooker job. And I think that's one of the reasons we saw the Jim McElwain tenure end. Jim McElwain did take a lot of players that Will Muschamp had recruited to Florida and was able to win. But quietly, Wes, Jim McElwain recruited pretty well at Florida. Like, he recruited some pretty good players there uh, to Florida. And somebody down there was making the point to me of, well, now McElwain's guys are leaving or have already left. You know, so it, it's just been, I mean, interesting and, and uh, weird. I mean, th- those are the two words that just continually come to mind for me. Yeah, the, the word um, the word weird seems to follow Dan Mullen around, it, it seems. Uh, by the way, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I quickly forget things like this, so I just looked it up. Florida under Mullen overall um, – this year for 2018, 10 and three overall, five and three in the SEC. That's tied for second in the East. Uh, 2019, they were 11 and two, six and two in the SEC. That was second in the East. Last year, eight and four overall, um, eight and two in the SEC. Um, my, my brain just glitched for a second there, but then I remembered oh, yeah, 10 game SEC schedule plus SEC championship game loss and Cotton Bowl loss. Um, and now this year, four and four, two and four in the SEC. Um, but but as we bring this back to this football game, Chris, and to your point earlier, man, it's Florida's still a huge favorite uh, as far as the Vegas line goes in this game because Vegas is looking at it saying, you know, and their algorithms are, are seeing, yeah, they got problems right now. Yeah, things aren't great right now. But – you know, I, I would dare say, Chris, you know, on paper, yes, Florida um, maybe isn't quite as good as I thought they might be to start the season. At the same time, even though I didn't have crazy expectations for South Carolina's offense, like I didn't think South Carolina's offense was going to be like this, you know, eight games yeah. into the season. So yeah. I actually, while Florida's a little bit worse, I don't know that – I don't really think I feel better about South Carolina's chances of winning this game than I would have if you'd have asked me, uh, you know, right before week one. Well, here, here's the key, Greg, from YouTube on the Primal Gourmet chat line. Can't score. And that's what it comes down to. You know, I mean, there are going to be certain games, there have been and there will be certain games where I think we can kind of assess – South Carolina's defense versus the opposing offense. You know, we mentioned, for instance, before the Tennessee game, this is not a great matchup for South Carolina because of some of the things that the Gamecocks have struggled with. Now, once it once the game started, those things were present, and they were – I'll speak for myself, Wes. They were even worse than I thought, you know, in terms of the matchup. The score ended up reflecting that very quickly. Um, there were other games where – you know, the opponent wasn't going to be as, you know, difficult as a matchup or as concerning of a matchup as, say, a Tennessee was. 
Um, A&M, I think, was a concerning matchup because of the talent that they have amassed on offense. And, and obviously that ended up being pretty similar to the Tennessee game and how it got out of hand. But the, the, here's the common thread, the common theme, is that every game that we've looked at since maybe the first couple after the ECU game has been, okay, South Carolina's offense against just about anybody, Power 5, they haven't been able to score. And and so it's similar to this. You look at, ah, uh, well, you know, all the talk about Todd Grantham and Florida's defense and they're susceptible to big plays. Yeah, that's still in place. But for me, the question is, can South Carolina take advantage of that? So far, when we've been breaking down all the games this year, we've been able to talk about, well, the opposing defense, maybe there's an opening for South Carolina here. Maybe there's an opening there if they play well, if they take advantage. They haven't done it so far. So it's still for this offense, it's still prove it mode. It's still show me mode for fans and for media folks like like you and I. And so that's that's where I am still. Florida's still more than capable of putting up points on offense. Gamecocks defense has had some struggles, as we know. Um, so that's still in place. But even more than that, I, I can't shake the feeling, West, that let's say Florida has a, a pretty subpar day offensively, and let's say they score, I don't know, 20 points, which would be a good day for the Gamecocks defense. Well, can Carolina go score 21, 24? I mean, can they go do that offensively? And right now there's still, you know, I think serious concerns about that. Yeah, man. I uh, So let, let's go to this question right here because it fits in with, with what we're talking about. Uh, got a Jamie on Facebook on our Primal Gourmet chat line. Um, Jamie, a loyal watcher and viewer of the show. Appreciate you as always, Jamie. Um, and this is a question we we talk about sometimes going into a game that I always think has some interesting uh, conversation involved with it. How many points do you think it will take to win this game? That is the big question, according to Jamie. He says to me, it's 24 points. I think if we can strike quick, like the verdict said this week, that would be huge. And, and yeah, I agree. Uh, Chris Pascal, who hopped on the show yesterday, uh, wrote in his verdict uh, column this week that basically South Carolina needs to find a way to to hit Florida early on and, and find out. Let, let's find out, is, Flo- is Florida's heart in this? You know, are, are they at the point of their season where their backs are against the wall and they're going to say, well, hey, we're going to fight this out, uh, you know, for our teammates and for our coach? Or are they at the point in the season where their backs are against the wall and they're going to say, I'm going to start to just protect myself for, for next year, for the NFL or for the transfer portal or whatever it may be for each individual guy you're talking about? Um, and it's an excellent point. It's a great question. And so how, how many points do we think it will take to win? Um Basically, you're looking to me when I look at that question, Chris. That's kind of okay. How how many points can South Carolina's defense hold Florida to? Um, so, to to me, I, I like I like where you're at with 24, but I also. I don't know if I don't know if South Carolina's I don't know if I can predict South Carolina's offense to go score twenty four. Right. Yeah. So how 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 do you look at that question? Well, so I mean, what one point of reference, and this is very imperfect. I mean, one way you can look at it is kind of 
look, look at what Florida has done this year. And it, of course, just as the, uh, the team and the recruiting has been, it's been uneven, you know, as far as they've lost four games, you know, and, and I think in some ways they've all been different. Like they, Georgia won 34 to seven, you know, but that obviously, you know, anytime a team loses to Georgia this year, what's going to be the story? Well, Georgia's defense just completely swallowed them up. And that's what happened in last week's game as well. South Carolina's defense, as we know, is not Georgia level. So you kind of throw that out as an example. You know, Alabama, they lost by two. Florida did. Bama, uh, have they've had some defensive issues this year, as we know. Um, their offense is very explosive. So Bama scored 31 points in their win over the Gators. Uh, the LSU game was another super weird one because LSU's had all sorts of issues. They couldn't run the ball at all. Lo and behold, they get in that game, and they're running all over the Gators. And they scored 49, all right? Um, you certainly can't anticipate South Carolina getting close to that number based on what we've seen. The, the, the game that, in my opinion, was South Carolina would have to mirror the most is the Florida-Kentucky game. Kentucky was able to get – just 20 points in that game and ended up winning that football game. They won 20 to 13 Gators were actually driving and, and down, you know, way deep in Kentucky territory and had four downs and and couldn't score. I think that would have to be the, you know, the recipe that have to be, you'd have to make it a lower scoring game. Even that's a little complicated because you like, if you see that Florida Kentucky score, you're probably like, okay, you know, Kentucky mucked it up. They won the turnover margin by three or four. No, <laughs> I mean, they didn't. The turnover margin in that game was one and one. So it was even. It was just a weird game. And I think that's what it's going to take for South Carolina. So I still think, and look, I mean, spoiler, I, I, I don't think I'll be picking South Carolina in this game just based on what we've seen. You know, I mentioned 24 earlier just as kind of like a, a throwout number to actually answer the question. I mean, I still think you're going to have to get to, I don't know, 27 points or something like that to be able to win this game realistically. So that then that becomes the question when you're when you're figuring out who to pick. Can South Carolina get to that? And you, I think you have serious concerns about that. Yeah, you you need you need really Florida just to show up and not like just not be dialed in. You know what I mean? Like not mentally be present for this game. Yeah. Um, you know. If South Carolina holds them to 24, are they going to have a chance to win this game? Probably so. Um, you know, and, and and can they actually do that is a completely different question. When you look at, again, the fact South Carolina defensively, as much as I, I will continuously say they have played over their heads on defense. Like they have, I think for what they are on defense, they have played really pretty well in my eyes. But run defense remains an issue. It's an offense that can run the football. And that's just not a great recipe when you have yourself an offense. You know, when we get back into this idea of complementary football, offense and defense complementing each other, if if you give up a lot on the ground, but you're not able to run the football yourself and give your defense a little bit of time on the sideline, put your defense right back on the field, um, you know, it, it, it makes it all the more difficult. So I don't know. I, I don't like the matchup. I don't think 
I don't know if it's quite to the level of like, like Chris is talking about, like Tennessee. Um, I don't know if I hate the matchup quite as much as I hated that one from a South Carolina perspective. It is at home. Florida comes in a little different mindset than Tennessee was going into that one. But still, it's up there. I, I don't I don't love the matchup. Frankly, other than Missouri with South Carolina, I'm not going to like the matchups with, with any of these. Even with Clemson struggling offensively, I can't in all like good conscience sit here and tell you guys, oh, I love that matchup because I don't. There was a comment on here that said, I don't care if we lose all the other games as long as we beat Clemson. That's one of those things fans say. But, guys, you would be burning – y'all would be burning the Gamecock Central. The The servers would be melting before our very eyes um, if that was really happening. If South Carolina was losing – South Carolina had lost 11 games going into that game. So, it's a good thing to say. It's a fun thing to say. But, no, y'all would be freaking the you-know-what out if that was actually happening. Um, I still think for Carolina, best chance clearly on paper is to to find a way to beat Missouri next week, and then just uh, see, you know see what happens the the final two games. But dude, th- uh, again to to sort of go back into how weird of a team this is for Florida, statistical anomaly number one thousand is that they have outgained every single team they've played, and they're four and four. It's strange. What what was the yard? What was the total in the Georgia game? That is a weird one. Uh, hold on, I'll tell you. Even, even Georgia, yeah. I mean, so you look at the Bama game. Like, there's two games that were very like offensively oriented games that they played in terms of the scoreboard, and that was, of course, the Bama game. Uh, Alabama won thirty-one to twenty-nine on that one, and then the LSU game was forty-nine to forty-two. So obviously, a lot of offense in both of that one. So both of those games. So when you have games that are like in that range, and then on top of that, you know it's a close margin—two points, seven points. Not a huge surprise there that you know you could outgain an opponent. And then even the Kentucky game—it was lower scoring, but it was a twenty to thirteen game, so a, a seven-point margin of victory. The Georgia one. Do you have that? Do you have the yardage on that? Yeah, and I, I was actually when you asked, I was second guessing myself. I was like, maybe that was prior to that game, like the first seven games. But no, all eight games. So the the yardage total for Florida, Georgia this past week, Florida three fifty five, Georgia three fifty four. So goodness, see that's crazy. And and Georgia wins that one, thirty four to seven. So, yeah, so that's pretty wild. I mean, you know, you, you don't walk away from a game saying, you know, you know, you might walk away from Georgia saying, oh, got 350 yards against Georgia. That's pretty good for this season, given how dominant they are, but you scored seven points. So, you know, you, you, at the end of the day, didn't do much. How, how does that happen? Because and I saw a response that said turnovers. Tur- turnover margin for Florida, Georgia, equal. Both teams turned it over three times. That's awful. Florida had more first downs. Florida won time of possession. Now, they were both pretty bad on third down. Um, Georgia was four of nine. Florida was four of 13. But Florida went for four fourth downs and converted two of them. So, I don't know, man. That That's just, 
I'm struggling here to even. Yeah, they, they just seen that when when you look at how it played out, they just didn't, you know. And, and uh, I think it was Travis. You have played the worst four minutes to end a half in history. You know, they just didn't make the critical plays. You know, Georgia just had came up with the key plays. They played better. They ended up winning very comfortably. You know, in that game. So again, just another weird statistical anomaly for a very weird year for the Gators. So th- this game, I think, was to t- bring it back to the Gamecocks matchup with them. I mean, I do think it makes it more interesting because maybe you are getting into the territory now of how invested is this Florida team. And it is a good point that Chris Pascal made of, you know, if you go in there and what if South Carolina, I mean, it's a very much a what if, guys and girls, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm thinking this is what's going to happen, but if you can go out there and make, what if South Carolina can finally put a game together where it can run the ball? with a little bit more consistently, or maybe if it hits a big play or two um, and, and can put some points on the board early, does this Florida team fold? I mean, like it's, it's maybe at this point in the season, sitting here at four and four with a lot of stuff that's been going on, maybe it's a legitimate consideration. You know, I think that's, that's not really what you want to be grasping for if you're a Carolina fan, right? Like you want to be going in saying, um, you know, I feel good about my team's, Chances, like I feel good about the matchup. I feel good about it on paper, um, but but that's wh- where it is right now. It's where it is right now. So um, the 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 fact is that it's kind of what you have to hang your hat on right here, right now, with where things are. Um, if you're South Carolina, and yet there there was a there was a pick six in that game, so that that will skew things. But still, thirty four to seven. Um, that's crazy. John says Gamecock should be five and three right now. I, I, I don't, I don't think I can agree with that, John. I mean, two two of the dubs were very tight wins for for South Carolina. So most of the time, those things balance out. But ECU dub, you know, ECU win was a last second win. Vanderbilt wins a last second win. So I, I don't think I can agree with you, man. Uh, let, let's talk quarterbacks for a second here. Beamer, Satterfield going, once again, the we're not going to announce it route. Um, I tend to, both from just my personal opinion of what makes sense, plus based on what I'm hearing from a rep standpoint, Chris, I still have to think it's Jason Brown. Um, I also, you know, if, if Zeb, Zeb's already not the most mobile guy, like that's not, it's not an insult. That's like an obvious. So we we know the O line has had issues in pass pro, and we know we know that Florida has had issues in coverage. So you know if you're going to have a chance to get the football down the field and maybe give these receivers and tight ends a chance to go make some plays in the passing game, to me, um, it, it almost has to be Jason Brown because Jason's going to give you a little bit mobi- a little bit more mobility and. Um, you know, I think right now he's really the guy that actually gives you, even if it's a smaller chance, a small chance, does give you somewhat of a chance for your guys to maybe go make some plays in this game. And um, l- last week, of course, Jason Brown taking first-team reps. Um, this week, I need to find out for sure about today, but this week um, leading into today, lots of first-team reps for Jason Brown. I believe um, – Took a lot of first team reps today as well. Wanted to confirm that, but 
to me, all signs, um, unless just something goes weird in the final half of this week, uh, the signs are pointing towards JB getting his first uh, first start at South Carolina. Yeah, and, and I think that leads into, you know, what to expect from Jason Brown given those matchups and just what we've seen from him and, you know, kind of half-jokingly talked about, you know, the Jason Brown experience and, and kind of seeing that in the Texas A&M game. Marcus Satterfield, Gamecocks offensive coordinator, talked a little bit about what he saw out of Brown today during his media opportunity and, um, you know, some of the things that he did in that game that were positive. And obviously Shane Beamer has talked about some of the things that Brown's got to get better at. So, you know, when he's in the game, you know, the things that you're going to get, you know, you're going to get some additional mobility. He has a knack to be able to do some things in terms of navigating the pocket, um, getting himself out of trouble, throwing on the run. He can bring those things to the table. Um, he's also going to have to be very cognizant. I mean, ball security is going to be something that comes up in this game. Uh, but we know that he is certainly not afraid to push the ball downfield and make some throws. And so, like you said, if that can create some explosives, if he can actually make some plays for you from the quarterback position, that'd be huge for a team that struggled to manufacture big plays really at any position this season. No, no doubt, man. Uh, let's see a couple of other things I want to get to. we got some intriguing topics, Chris. Um, John says, okay, let's talk next four games. <laughs> it would be fair to say we should win two of the last four. No, I, I, I don't see how that would be fair to say. I mean, South Carolina is going to be a definitive underdog against Florida, a definitive underdog against Auburn, and a definitive underdog against Clemson. And we'll see against Missouri on the road. They're going to be an underdog in that game as well. Um, now, now, will it be a big number? Probably not. Uh, what the exact number will be will probably be a little bit determined by uh, what happens this week. You know, I, I don't even know who Missouri has this week. Um, you know, does South Carolina show progress coming off the bye against Florida? Maybe that number shrinks a little bit. Um, but, in you know, at Missouri, I don't know if, if they did it right now. What do you think, Chris? I'm, I mean, I'm not good at lines, but I would I would say Missouri by four, six, something like that. Like, Missouri will be the favorite in, in that game as well. So, I, I can't sit here and tell you South Carolina should win two of the last four. I, I don't really think that's accurate. Yeah, and, and I think – you got to base it off what we've seen from South Carolina and these other teams this season, not, you know, not necessarily where in your mind, when I say you're any person's mind who's assessing the situation, you know, you shouldn't look at it as why well, I think they should win this many games this season, or they should have been in position to beat this team this year. You know, we're looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, given what we've seen first eight, from all these different teams that are remaining on the schedule in South Carolina, what do you think? And given that, you shouldn't look at it and think that South Carolina should win three of those four for sure. And and I would agree on Missouri. Like right now, I wouldn't favor South Carolina in any of them. doesn't mean they can't win any of them, but if we're just kind of setting Vegas lines, because here's what I go back to. Missouri has really struggled on defense this year. South Carolina has not been able to score. And Missouri can score. Like, they've shown some ability to score this year, and that game's on the road, as you pointed out. Um, Auburn, they have played pretty pretty darn well at times this season. They're going to be a tough out. Clemson's had offensive struggles, but they still have a lot of talent, and defensively they're still 
pretty good there. You know, and then obviously you look at you look at the Florida game that's coming up this weekend that we've been talking about the whole time. So I don't think you could look at it and say, yeah, South Carolina's favored in, in two of those four at all. Uh, I would agree with you. Yeah, right now, um, South Carolina right at 15% chance to win Saturday, according to FPI. Again, not the end-all, be-all. FPI, though, most of the time matches up with what the lines say um, in the game. For the most part, uh, you'll, you'll, there'll be a little bit of difference there, but for the most part, I'll give you a good idea. 15.4% against Auburn, 13.4% against Clemson. Although I will say the FBI, however the algorithm works, it is not caught up to the fact yet that Clemson is not good offensively. Like that, Every time I check, they, the FBI, as far as Clemson's overall um, like quality as a team, they still have – FBI still sees Clemson as the 10th best team team as far as efficiency in the country which there's there's no way there's no way so I I admittedly would take that number with a grain of salt but um, Missouri right now let's see Missouri and South Carolina are very very similar in overall efficiency right now but the the FPI has South Carolina as a a worse team and it is on the road so right now it gives South Carolina a 40.4% chance of winning that game, which probably is somewhere, give or take, around like a touchdown um, a lot of times, maybe a little bit less. Um, so so we'll see. But, I, you know, South Carolina's not going to be favored. Again, the games are played on the field. But to just put those expectations that South Carolina should win two of four, you know, just because you're a Carolina fan watching um, – you know, that's not really how it works. Uh, real quick, Chris, uh, you want to tell everybody about Dead Soxy? Yeah, let's tell the people about Dead Soxy. Check those guys out, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Check out their full online catalog of men's and women's socks, all different kinds, the Spur line of socks that have the South Carolina flavor to them. That's on the college line. Or you can check out their boardroom dress socks, athletics, no-shows, all different kinds, colors, styles. Check those out on deadsoxy.com and get 25% off your entire order when you use the promo code COCKY. That's C-O-C-K-Y, and that's deadsoxy.com. So there's one more comment I want to get on uh, here from Peter on YouTube. Appreciate the comment there, Peter, on our um Chat line there, which is, of course, as always, uh, brought to you by our good friends at Promo Gourmet. Uh, I don't see why people keep talking about an OC change. Play calling doesn't affect poor blocking, drop passes, lack of focus, penalties. We aren't executing quality football. Um, Peter, agree with some of what you're saying. Disagree to an extent for one reason. Um, I think, and again, we, we, we try to separate play calling um and from a like specific standpoint play calling a lot of times people use the wording play calling when they're talking about the entire thing to me play calling is what you're talking about you're talking about literally what call did the offensive coordinator make versus a particular defensive scheme um and agree with your overall point but i think people at this point, are saying, well, ultimately, execution 
yes, it has to take place by the players, right? But ultimately, when people see eight games worth of what they're seeing, they're saying, well, why aren't some of these issues of execution being fixed? Um, Especially when they look back and see what the offense was able to do in the running game last year. So uh, how, how much of the lack of execution is based on a lack of basically com- comfortability within the scheme and within what you're trying to do. So, yeah, they're, they're, and that's a – I mean, it's always, Chris, going to be a percentage, right? Like some of it's just based on the players. Some of it is play calling sometimes. Some of it is, uh, you know, just in some cases that you just get out-athleted for – for lack of a better way to say it. But I think fans are just looking at it, rightfully so, saying, I can't watch my team have six yards of offense mm-hmm. deep into the third quarter and say that's okay. Well, that, like that, that can't just be a talent issue because we watch FCS teams um, do better in, in, in yeah. those occasions. Right, right. And so at some point... Um, and, and the point varies, obviously, right? For some people, it was, uh, you know, the, the the first drive against Eastern Illinois. You know, you may, have, you may have had an opinion about the offense or the team. For some people, it's later. For some people, it hasn't come yet. Maybe it comes, you know, in year two, three, or, or whatever. We don't know how things are going to play out. Um, you know, th- that point can certainly vary. But there, there does come a point where the execution – and, and there's different types of that, right? Whether it's, you know, penalties and how a team conducts itself, mental mistakes, getting out-athleted, whatever it may be. There's a point when the execution has to be a reflection of the scheme in total, the offensive coaching, all those different things looped in. The system. I mean, just for lack of a better term, let's loop the actual looking at a sheet and making a call, the coaching, the planning, the preparation – just loop that into the system, right? At some point, the lack of execution, if that's what you pin it on, is reflective of the system itself. And we do have a pretty big body of work. And I, I think, Wes, the bigger issue that people have rightfully pointed out is that this team really hasn't had anything to hang its hat on. So it's not that the offense is struggling and just not scoring a lot of points. It's that they're not really doing anything well right now. And we have last season with four that four out of the five offensive linemen, you know, from last year back, except for Sedarius Hutcherson and the entire running back room back with Marshawn Lloyd added into it. You have all those guys back and you can't run the ball. This is going to sound dramatic, but really at all, like you can't run the ball with any, any level of consistency or any level of explosiveness when we at least saw some of that last year, some of it, and they couldn't pass the ball last season either, you know, but there was something where you said they're going to be able to run the ball in most games. Can't, can't say that this year. So I think it's the totality of all those factors that have people rightfully frustrated. Then then you add in the extreme example that you gave of having six yards with two minutes and 30 seconds left on the clock in the third quarter against A&M. And, and those things add up, and ultimately they become reflective of, of what you're doing in total on the offense. No doubt, man. Um, all right, we're going to close it out here shortly. By the way, while I've got them up, 
some interesting FPI other grades that are that are still staring at me right now as we're talking. Um, excuse me, not not FPI. Too many initials. PFF. So your boy Pete Limbo. Uh, if you haven't learned by now, Chris and I, big Pete Limbo special teams fans, readily admit that over here. Um, Gamecocks special teams still the highest graded at this point in the SEC. Um, 90.2. Hilarious fact, Georgia and Will Muschamp's special teams second in the SEC with a 90.1 grade. Mm. Um, You're ending the show with a troll of the people. Wes, I see. I, I mean, see. I, ha- I had to share. I had to share. Um, wow, wor- worst in the league in special teams. Tennessee, 58.6. Um, every- everything else among the grading for South Carolina sort of matches what I would, I would say the eye test would be. Um, PFF very low on South Carolina's pass blocking ability. Um, very low on their run defense. The the interesting one for me, also PFF low on South Carolina tackling on defense. In my opinion, it feels like the tackling has improved. Um, the grading says that it has not necessarily improved a lot. Um, so maybe my eyes have deceived me on that, and and some of these run issues have been about tackling. At least that's what PFF believes. Um, did, did you feel like the, the tackling has improved some or or did it improve some towards the beginning of the year and my brain is still remembering that and not they, – they did have some issues tackling, of course, um, at Tennessee. There were issues tackling in the second half against Vanderbilt. Um, everything went wrong against A&M on all sides, I feel like. Um but but maybe some of the run game issues aren't just that you're being blocked up front. Maybe some of it is tackling. Yeah, and I think it has been um, – it has come up a little bit more. And, you know, obviously adjusting, you keep in mind who the first two games are against with Eastern Illinois and ECU. And um, I remember there was one game, and I don't recall which one, where South Carolina had like six missed tackles in a game. And that's – people are going to say, well, it's too many. I mean, that's a good number, you know, in terms of missed tackles during an entire football game almost regardless of opponent. Um, but I think I, I have I don't have those numbers in front of me like on an individualized basis. I do feel like the past few weeks, just eyeball test strictly, that there have been more struggles in, in the tackling department, um, you know, just as of late. And what you chalk that up to, I'm not sure. Obviously, competition adjusted, except for Vanderbilt. I mean, that's not that's not an opponent you should be missing tackles against, but they did have some. You know, they had some open field tackling issues there especially on the the one touchdown, you know, catch and run that was 50-something yards. That was a missed tackle that was basically the only reason that play happened. So got to try to clean those things up, no doubt. Yep, this past week, uh, I I am looking at some game-by-game stuff, man. This past week, by far the worst pass pro game South Carolina has had this season. Um, The second worst grade they've had in pass pro, Georgia, which – I mean, makes sense when you look at what those both those teams have up front, but uh, that that matches the eye test. Um, all right, y'all, I can sit here and throw random PFF 
stuff at you for an hour. We won't do that. That's probably bad for for podcasting or whatever it is we're doing, live streaming. Um, check out Primal Gourmet. Chris, did you pick up your your fresh uh, weekly uh, boxes of food this week? I did, man. Had some uh, had some Cajun beef with some carrots for lunch. It was awesome. And uh, looking forward to the rest of it the rest of this week. So check those guys out. PrimalGourmetSC.com. Promo code GCOC20. And you'll get a discount on your first order from Primal Gourmet. Yeah, if you're trying to lose some weight or you just want to eat a little bit more healthy, uh, Primal Gourmet, an excellent place to get a very uh, convenient meal that is already prepped and ready for you. You just throw it in the microwave and uh, you can get meal packs of five, which is what Chris and I are doing. And uh, it's really pretty awesome. Gives you a, a ton of variety. Uh, real quick, John wants to know what the PFF grade of Jason Brown was against Texas A&M. Hold on one second, John. This is a this is great customer service, if I do say so myself. I'm going to give you that answer right now. Um, and let's see. All right, Jason Brown, 27 total snaps, grade of 65.4, um, which I'll tell you. That that's a solid grade if you only play twenty seven snaps. So sixty, the way I understand it, sixty is like the the baseline. Um, so if if you played if you played a hundred snaps, kind of like a plus minus in basketball, you see that sometimes. If you played a hundred snaps and you did literally nothing to help or hurt your team, you would have a sixty. Um, so if you make a if you make a huge play, you start ticking up. Uh, faster if you make a couple terrible plays you start ticking below 60 so he would have been you know hurt by certainly by the interception in the end zone I don't you know hurt a little bit probably by the interception to Zaquandre White um, and then probably would have gotten some some big ticks up um, on a couple of those other big plays that he made so uh, that's probably I test 65.4 that's probably about right and I'll be honest with you on a day there, there aren't really many other high scores on this list for offensively, as you would expect from that game. All right, y'all, appreciate the support. Appreciate all of our sponsors. Appreciate uh, everybody who watches. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Uh, like, review, subscribe, all that stuff on your podcast platform. For Chris, I'm Wes. We'll talk to you soon. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.